The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to Tech Trader on Barron's Live. I'm Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Savitz. I am very excited to have with me today um, Bob Muglia. Did I pronounce that right, by the way? Muglia? Good enough. Muglia, Muglia, close enough. Okay, okay. just checking. Um, uh, who uh, has had a long and storied career um, in enterprise uh, computing. He's had a career more than two decades at, um, at Microsoft, uh, involved in many important uh, Microsoft uh, tools and um, software over the years, later became the uh, CEO at Snowflake uh, for five years. Is that right, Bob? Yeah. Um, uh, which has been, uh, uh, tellingly one of the most important, uh, 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 tech IPOs, enterprise technology IPOs involving the cloud in particular in a long time. And, um, and now Bob has written a book. I will do a little show and tell, uh, here we go called the datapreneurs. I don't know if that's actually backwards on the screen. No, it's not. Okay. Not, just checking. Um, for me anyway. Which just came out, right? It's about a week or so ago. Uh, the book came out. And uh, the datapreneurs looks at uh, two parts of, uh, well, it actually has a, a few moving parts. It kind of starts with uh, really a lot of the early history of, um, of enterprise computing and in particular management of data. And uh, that, of course, is a very hot topic right now. Uh, because of the emergence of uh, artificial intelligence, in particular, the variety known as generative artificial intelligence, uh, really started with uh, one of Microsoft's current closest partners, OpenAI, launching uh, ChatGPT last uh, uh, November. So still like a very new phenomenon, and it feels like the world has changed. And Bob is going to give us a little bit of a uh, some hints about what may come next. Um, Bob, tell me a little bit first about um, what you've been up to the last few years since you uh, completed your uh, stretch at uh, Snowflake. Uh, you've been still a pretty busy guy. Yeah, I've continued to be pretty busy. I'm um, doing uh, really board work for small companies. I decided my sort of superpower is, is starting companies and helping um, people to grow. I realized uh, when I was writing the book that I've actually been working with entrepreneurs my entire life. I mean, even when I worked for Microsoft for all those years in a big company, it was very entrepreneurial back in the 1990s. And I was doing entrepreneurial things. I was always starting new products there. That's mostly what I did while I was at Microsoft for a good part of my career. And so now I'm helping entrepreneurs in their early stages. Uh, I advise CEOs. Um, and others within companies. You know, it's interesting because <clears throat> these technologists are amazing people. They're brilliant. They've got incredible ideas, but there's a lot of, of, of things about business and people issues and things like that. It's really growing companies is all people. It's all about people. It's always all about people. And and so that's where I really focus on helping, helping okay. these new entrepreneurs grow. So when I see, uh, so in the book, you list a bunch of companies and talk about a bunch of companies where you're playing a role. Uh, having a board seat or maybe taking a stake. Um, and most of them are tied to AI in one way or another. Um, give us the sort of high level view that you have about where we are in this evolution. Why 
um, why we should be paying very close attention to the, to, uh, to, not to your book, to the new set of data, uh, datapreneurs, the new set of companies uh, that are trying to uh, address the same problem in effect that companies like, you know, Ashton Tate and um, Sybase and, uh, you know, Lotus123 were doing in uh, decades earlier, which is figure out the best way to, uh, uh, to control and to manage data. Well, sort of my, my basic theory that I wrote in the book is that there's been an arc of innovation around data since the advent of the digital computing. You can really say that human, you know, people have been, in, been advancing society for thousands of years, but it took a, a step forward and moved much more quickly once the digital computer was invented in the 1940s and 1950s. And you know, since the 60s, 70s, 80s, as data has become more and more part of what we do as we run business, as we are consumers in our lives, we're generating now massive amounts of data. Um, we've seen massive progress over, over that 50 year period. Mm -hmm. The internet has just changed the way people communicate between social networking and, and email and, and chat sorts of things, uh, uh, Slack and Teams and everything else. People are communicating. Things continue to move faster and faster. And that, this progress continues to increase. And what we saw last year was, I think, a pretty important inflection point because for the first time, computers have what I would think of as intelligence that begins to compare to human intelligence. We never really had that. We had logic. Computers are great at math and they're great at storing data, but they've never been great at reasoning and thinking about things. And now with some of the advances in machine learning and these neural networks and artificial intelligence, computers can now actually understand and respond to English, which I think is remarkable. Just a remarkable step forward in 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 in, in certainly my career and in, in human in human history, uh, we can yeah, actually. Well, I think, yeah, I think there's good reason for that, right? So if you think about um, the distance between um, the the raw data and the ability to interpret that raw data, and the end user not being without any like IT people getting too involved in the process, right? So the ability to turn everything into an English language query or some other language for that matter. Um, feels new and it feels like the ultimate sort of uh, test in terms of making information um, usable, uh, have be a utility. Uh, you know, I, I, my, my recent example is not just um, uh, the chat bots and the, the new versions of search that you're seeing from, uh, from Alphabet and Microsoft, but I was struck by, Mal, uh, by, by the Microsoft uh, uh, debut of uh, adding chat uh, adding generative AI functions to Office. Um, and I was thinking about, there was sort of a brief example of uh, basically, you can just type a sentence that says, please turn my list of, of uh, you know, my, uh, uh, my Excel spreadsheet or a list of bullet points into a uh, deck, uh, into a PowerPoint deck. And I'm, I see that and think, wow, you've, 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 it really takes you much, much closer to the capability of the software. You don't have to need be an expert on functions and which things do what. You just have to ask the question. Uh, it's just remarkable. Yeah, and these agents that you know we're gonna see, these co-pilots, I think that they're being called, you know, we're gonna see them in every application. They're, I think every single application is gonna remake itself in the next couple of years with artificial intelligence. Adobe just released 
uh, new version of Photoshop that has their first generative AI in it. And people are finding that really interesting, the ability for normal people to create things that they could never create before. And it'll be fun when those those capabilities get into more consumer-oriented tools besides right. just professional tools. Oh, yeah. I would note, in, the, in case of your Adobe example, um, uh, it's super powerful. You can Anyone can go try them out. at uh, there, There's an Adobe website called Firefly. Uh, that includes a version of these uh, Photoshop tools, and uh, it's it's like uh, magic. I, I, I'm going to get to a question about Isaac Asimov in a second, but this is more an Arthur Clarke territory. This is that old Arthur Clarke quote that um, anything that is significant, uh, you can't, it's it's indistinguishable. Let's see, what is it? It's any it's sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. magic. That is what that feels like. It feels like magic. Um, it's going to be a huge business. Now there are lots of there's so many questions about what's going to happen from here. Um, one one thing I, I'm I'm uh, you know one thing I worry a little bit about is there is uh, some combination of uh, rational and irrational fears about what happens with AI. Um, so you're seeing you know, there was recently this letter from a group of um, uh, both AI industry execs and various technologists saying we should slow down, um, and and then you also have uh, you know, tremendous concern in Washington. Uh, not they don't all agree on what it is they're concerned about, by the way. But uh, lots of concerns. Uh, they they see something unregulated and they want to uh, attack it with a new regulation, maybe right. agency. And so I wanted uh, to touch on how should we be afraid? Like, and what should we be afraid of? And um, do we really need a new like a department of you know AI regulation? Well, I'm, I'm not going to ever advocate for a new department in the government. <laughs> be the first thing I'll say, I'll never advocate for that. Um, but uh, I think there's there's reason for fear, if there's some concern. There's honestly some reasons for some concerns. Um, but I think we, it's important for people to, to uh, compartmentalize this appropriately and, and, and distinguish it. They're really two very, very distinct things. There's AI as a tool that is being created by people to be used for purposes of people. And in that, it is a very powerful tool. AI is a very powerful tool. It has millions of positive uses and it has many negative uses that it can be applied to. And because people will, will apply it, people will make it do everything. They will make it do phenomenal things. They'll make it do good things. They'll make it do bad things. And they'll probably make it do some terrible things. You know, deep fakes, as an example, is a new challenge that is never really, you know, we've never seen before. And perhaps there is some new laws that are needed to handle that. I, my understanding is some of the regulations don't fully handle that today. And it is important that, that when somebody impersonates somebody and does something they didn't do, that that should be illegal. That shouldn't be right. allowed. Um, so perhaps some new regulations there. When people talk about existential threat, that's not really what they're talking about. I mean, you, you know, AI might might steal money, it may fake people out, but it's not going to destroy humanity when it's being wielded by people. The bigger concern is what happens if it continues to get smarter and eventually gets smarter than all of us, and can we control it when it gets there? Now, I do think that's going to happen. I'll be the first to say that, that this is going to continuum of, of increase in increasing uh, uh, progress. And as the intelligence starts getting you know, bit smarter and smarter and we learn more and more techniques, I do think these things are going to get smarter. But I think that, that, that we are creating them as people. And, and I always come back to values and the values that we put into these things. 
you know, ultimately I'm an optimist and I don't think we're going to create a Terminator. I mean, we've had plenty of dystopian movies. There's no lack of them. We know how bad this could go. It's hard to get much worse than Terminator, really. Yeah, um, uh, and, and so I'm much more optimistic of a future where, where these, these systems we create, maybe they become entities someday that we need to think of as our peers and our partners in the future. And, and I think that they'll be great partners. Partly I was influenced by Asimov as, as a small, you know, when I grew up and, you know, and his uh, much more positive view on things that, you know, that he always described uh, because, you know, Asimov created a world where robots were machines created by people for right. the purpose of serving people. And they, they followed a set of laws that kept them under control. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Uh, you talk in the book about, Asimov's uh, Three Laws of Robotics, which he wrote about in the 1940s, maybe? Yeah. 1950s? Before um, he wrote him in, like, he came up with him in 42, actually before the digital computer was invented, which is pretty right. amazing when you think about it, really. Well, they're very logical laws that uh, basically talk about not allowing humans to come ha to harm, uh, uh, not allowing uh, harm to come the, to themselves unless they violate the First law, and then uh, what's the third one? I can't even remember. The third law is, is that is that a, a robot m m can take care of itself unless uh, it, it may not. Uh, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not right. violate the first two laws. Well, and, and the reason this has like resurfaced as a topic of discussion, which by the way I'm sure Asimov would find uh, fascinating, um, uh, where he's still with us. But uh, there's there's kind of two notions of AI in a sense to, to oversimplify here. Uh, one is this what we've seen emerging in recent months, a generative AI. So the, the ability of artificial intelligence to generate original content, not on its own, but with a set of prompts, um, you know, you can create all kinds of things, including computer code and uh, written materials, um, you know, press releases, documents, resumes, you name it. But there's another concept, which sounds the same, but is not the same, called um, general artificial intelligence. And that's where people start to get worried because the notion of general artificial intelligence is that, uh, that, that this is, it's not just about cleverly figuring out, like organizing information and trying to guess what it is that you're after um, and based on you know mil uh, millions or hundreds of millions or billions of pieces of data. It's the idea where the software really becomes intelligent, where it, it's, it's thinking or something. I, I don't really know because no one's built it yet. Um, and then you, in the book, you talk about even like where to go from there and this notion about uh, uh, imagine you had a general artificial intelligence uh, that was in a moving robot that could go do things in the real world. Um, that's pretty far away, I think. You would agree, probably? Um, I don't think it's that far. I think it's 2030s. I think it's 2030s. I mean, I think we'll see, you know, what we have... We, I've always believed we're heading for an era of robotics, and I felt like the 2030s would be the, the era of robotics. Uh, the thing that was always challenging is, is how would we communicate with these robots? And now we can. I mean, and the thing that's so fascinating is, is that since, since GPT-35 uh, and ChatGPT happened last year, there's been an explosion of, of work in the open source community. And we now have literally thousands of researchers all over the world working on all sorts of different artificial intelligence models, some of which can run on small portable devices. 
I mean, it will not, in, the ability to understand English and respond to English will be a commodity in five years right. from a software perspective. And it will be, I mean, you'll be able to put it on a device that's, you know, that's smaller than a cell phone. And, um, and certainly when we think about uh, uh, robots that might work with us and live amongst us, mm -hmm. that capability will be built in. If you thought about, it, think about autonomous cars, I always thought about this, which is that, okay, people are working on autonomous cars, but, but the last thing you say to an Uber driver is always, you know, let's drop me off at the corner here. And you, we need to have the ability to communicate with these machines. And, and now it's obvious that we will be able to do that. That's amazing. So when you think about the, um, I mean, what's, what's certainly become clear to me in the last, oh, I don't know, six or eight months since this mania started, is uh, this is going to touch uh, every business of every variety. Um, kind of in the way, like, you know, 20 years ago, we were all talking about, um, you know, the impact of the internet on the average business. I was sort of web 1.0 and everyone was setting up web pages and trying to figure out how they were going to use the, the technology. And one of the early sort of assumptions, well, this is going to affect every company. And we just sort of, but in truth, it has affected. It did. Everyone, right? It did, actually. Um, it's taken a little while in some cases, but um, it's now affected everyone, right? Every company has a website. Every company has an email system. They have all kinds of online tools. Um, with AI, um, it's just starting. I mean, you know, we've, it's, I feel like every day I come in and there's an announcement from some company, often a very large company about what their strategy is going to be. We talked about Adobe Intuit just made a big announcement of that variety. They're going to infuse it into all their tools. Um, uh, there's, there's a whole long list, right? Um, so I'm curious when you look at that, if there's one segment or another of the market that you, of the of the enterprise software market let's say uh that is particularly likely to see the most change or and is it really a, i mean the interesting question is like the early examples so chat gpt it's kind of a consumer tool it's not really an enterprise tool it's a um it's a it has it's a know, very general purpose tool actually it's, it's a very, very general, general purpose but it's not it's not uh, it hasn't it wasn't built i don't think with enterprise applications no. in mind i mean as you know it doesn't have enterprise more. data it doesn't have enterprise access to enterprise data specifically right, right. so but that's going to change right N maybe not with chatgpt but large language models fused with your own uh, proprietary data is something i've been talking to people about over and over and over in the last few weeks um, because of course the it, it's interesting that because the early uh, examples were consumer accessible. You could try them out and you can make an error and then you could grab a big story in the New York Times, right? So, um, but it feels like the enterprise is where things will really be impacted in big time. And I'm curious how you think about it. Well, I think that, that I mean, this gets back to, to this, this continuous progression. And in the book, I talk about one of the efforts that we had at Microsoft called information at your fingertips. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Which, which we've, we've, I think we've achieved IAYF after, after these yeah. years and, and through a series of not necessarily what we thought we would achieve it at Microsoft, but as a society, we've achieved it for sure. And even within the enterprise now, you can get access to quite a bit of information, but it's really interesting. You know, if you ask, if you ask people how they find out information in the enterprise, sure, you can run queries, you can find things in various kinds of wikis and whatnot. But what's interesting is a lot of the time people just ask somebody on Slack and or, or you know, our teams, and that's the way they get the answer. Right. And what's going to change is, is that is that the, the, that 
the intelligence that's now in these models can be coupled with knowledge that is is relevant and 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 owned by the enterprise the data and the knowledge that exists within an enterprise and these two are very complementary intelligence and knowledge go together and knowledge is really data that has been analyzed and some form of conclusion has been made has been re reached from it and what the, the, what's what's happening and we're, we're going to see these products appearing in the market within a matter of months where the knowledge bases, all of the Slack messages, all the internal uh, product support, email and chat sessions that have been had, the Slack sessions, all of those sorts of things are going to get that all that information is going to get stored in knowledge bases, probably in what people are calling vector databases, a new type of database that's well suited for this. And that knowledge will be combined with the intelligence of these models to answer questions for specific domains like the enterprise. Right. So enterprise can keep their data proprietary. They don't have to give it up. They don't have to give it to OpenAI or anybody else, but they can combine it with the intelligence that these models have. And sometimes they'll use, use services like, like Microsoft and OpenAI, and other times they may just run them within their own applications. Um, we'll see a combination of both based on the sensitivity that companies have for privacy. Yeah, and it is interesting. Well, a couple of things I mentioned, just to follow up on a few things that you talked about. Um, so you, you talk a lot in the book about information at your fingertips, which was uh, tied to a, a, a keynote that Bill Gates gave at Comdex, I think in 1990. Um, so quite a long time ago. Um, of course, you know, 1990 um, uh, was, you know, for most people uh, before the internet, before uh, anything. It was kind of the, the Stone Age in some ways compared to the current state of technology. But Bill was ahead of his time. It was a little bit like... Uh, you know, information superhighway, which is sort of another concept a little later. Uh, but he got the basics directionally right. Um, I think what's so amazing in some, what wasn't clearly anticipated was none of it was going to be stored locally. It was all going to be in the cloud. Right. That uh, wasn't about- That was a big miss. That was the big miss. We thought it was all local back then. And it'd be, you know, we thought Windows was the center of the, of the world back then at Microsoft and everything would be on your desktop. And in fact, you know, servers became important first, and then those servers were, were 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 became internet servers, and then they became cloud servers, which is where we are today. You know, everything lives in the cloud. Okay, so we have lots of reader questions, and I want to uh, mention uh, just at least a couple of them. There are, are a couple of people who are asking about the use of AI in um, uh, pharmaceutical research and cancer research, um, which uh, you know is it, it takes. I mean, developing a new um, therapeutic for a cancer patient uh, or for a can for a form of cancer can take a decade or more. It's very complicated. There's a lot of as much art as science in trying to find new compounds. How do you feel about that? And do you think that becomes a major endpoint here? Well, for sure. I mean, AI will help us sort through and find new compounds that that are are, are promising compounds. I think it'll also help us in understanding the results of trials and everything else. Um, so, you know, it's going to AI, AI is going to help us in drug discovery. It's going to help us in, in, in medicine in terms of uh, making sure that diagnoses are accurate. Um, more and more, I think doctors will work with these, co these assistants, these co-pilots in, you know, in their diagnosis uh, because the AI will have access to essentially all of the data 
that has has that is is relevant to the particular disease or the particular treatment that they're trying to work with, and so it can provide a a, a view that is much much broader than what any individual doctor can provide. So I think it's going to this is one of the areas we're going to see tremendous augmentation, uh, but it's one of really every area. I mean, I think every sort of area is going to have. Uh, uh, improvement because of this technology. When when you look um, when you're looking at startups that you might want where you might want to play a role, either serving on a board or um, uh, or perhaps investing um, some of your own capital, um, are there particular things that you're looking for in those AI, particularly things that are AI related? And you've got kind of a, an eclectic collection. I do. Um, I do. Um, it's an interesting collection, but it's an eclectic collection. You know, it's really what I'm interested in more than anything else. I try and focus on things that I think are groundbreaking technologies. Um, you know, for example, I you know invested in in Pinecone as a vector database before people. You know, that has really taken off. The vector databases have become very, very they're very important part of storing information for these large language models. And you know, I saw that as a new generation of database that would be interesting. And I want to learn about it. And you know, the, the CEO, Ito Liberty, is a great guy. And I, I got to know him. And so partly, partly it's where I have a relationship with the founder. Um, partly it's where I can learn something from it. Partly it's an area where I think it's a new breakthrough technology. Um, I'm really more about helping move things forward right now than anything else. It's much more focused on moving technology forward and learning than you know, making more money. That's for okay. sure. So speaking of making more money, because uh, we're barons, like a lot of our readers like to make more money. Um, uh, there's quite a few questions here about the impact and uh, of uh, AI on uh, portfolio management, on stock trading. Yeah. Um, somebody, uh, uh, I can't find his name. Now, I apologize, but uh, one of the one of the readers uh, or listeners asked, um, "Are we going to be at a point where?" You know, um, a generative AI uh, um, software uh, application might outperform the average investor's uh, stock picks, or maybe outperform the average institutional investor or the average hedge fund. And I've been a little skeptical, like uh, given the amount of psychology that figures into the uh, the process of investing. But maybe that's maybe there that's will undoubtedly be funds in the not too distant future that are entirely driven by AI. I'm sure that's going to happen. It'll be interesting to see how they perform relative to the best in the business. Uh, you know, they will be they'll probably be more analytical, I would guess, than than, right. than a lot of the less emotional. Uh, but uh, yeah, there it is. You know, this is going to happen, and and we're gonna see we're gonna see a whole set of different things that help investors along the way. I was uh, one of the companies that I've, I've, I've talked to is, is a very small company called Noonan that is working in financial services right now. And, and it's really and that they're focusing on is collecting all the data for a portfolio manager to make better decisions about their portfolio. Say, you know, ask about a category and, and have it find all the companies that are in a given right. category and then go through the earnings reports and things like that. Summarize that information for the investor to be able to make their better investor decisions. I think we'll see those sorts of tools really coming within the next 12 months, 12 to 18 months. And that those sorts of things should be able to help investors to make better decisions, even if we haven't totally offloaded it and just let the AI make the decisions for us. That'll come in the future. Are you, um, you know, one of the interesting elements of this to me is um, um, the current, like most popular bets on, in the stock market. Uh, there are a few exceptions, but the most popular ones are very large cap 
well well uh well entrenched uh, players somewhere in the enterprise um uh hardware software realm and you know so your old friends at microsoft are kind of at the top of the list right um yep. alphabet um nvidia which is not quite as old but still like has a, has completely changed uh uh changed the, the, the nature of its business over time and that ability to be nimble um uh, to so you know, at, for when you read your book, one of the things uh, that I think we we, we uh, before we went on the air, I mentioned this that there's a little bit of a like trip down memory lane as we're reading about Lotus One Two Three and Ashton Tate and Sybase and um, like a bunch of other companies that don't exist in their current uh, in, in that form anymore. And there's Microsoft and there's um, Google and there's. IBM, uh, which has been at this longer than anybody else, I think, in some ways. Um, but not everybody makes it that makes that transition. So I'm curious about how you think about, you know, just that that aspect of this that it seems to be driven, at least in part, by some of the most familiar technology companies there are. Well, the the nature of AI is that it can be additive to existing products and services. So we'll see just about every product being augmented by AI. Now, in some cases, the category may change pretty substantially. I think we're about to see the, the, the largest change in internet search in our, you know, since Google went public, for sure, um, in 2004. And for the first time, there really is a new paradigm in internet search. And there's no question. There's just no question that that that, that is going to happen. And and people and people will be asking questions of our Google or our Bing or whatever differently than we'd have in the past. And it, it, opens, up an it opens up an opportunity in doing so. So right. Well, I was going to say, like, so now we think about the universe of search, and it's like almost all Google, but a little bit of Bing. Now it's a little more Bing, maybe than it was before. Um, but it it begs the question about, well, isn't this a moment where you could create? A new competitor, maybe with a slightly different business model. Maybe um, I, I, one of my investments is exactly that. A company called Perplexity. Take, check it. Check out Perplexity. I think Perplexity okay. is excellent. It's the best answer bot out there. It uses it uses Chat GPT, uses GPT four and other models. It's not just one model, multiple models, and then it also has access to the local, you know, to the Bing's index, so it's fully up to date. And I find it gives the best answers today. So um, and what we'll see is, I mean, these are the answer bots that are appearing. And we, you know, we now have a number of those. By the end of the year, early next year, we'll be, start to become more familiar with what I would call action bots, where instead of just asking a question, we'll tell these, these bots to do something for us. Like, hey, you know, like, can you check my favorite Italian restaurant for a reservation at 7.30 on Friday night? And it'll come back and say, you know, 7.30 is taken, but is 8 o'clock okay? And you'll say yes, and it'll make the reservation for you. That's right. not far away. That's not far away at all. That's a new business model, by the way. That's a brand new business model um, because the, the, the software is, 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 is doing things on your behalf. And in the process, it's, it's generating revenue for companies. Okay. I want to ask you, uh, we're running a little short on time, but I want to ask a couple of last things. So one, along those lines... Um, so the obvious implication in terms of you know redoing the search industry is maybe they need a different model because you know search has been I mean Google's search business ten blue links is, the ten blue links is is not the future that is not the future but it's that's still driven by advertising right on conventional Google search um, if you use Bard or or Bing uh, 
or Bing's uh, chatbot. Um, there's not so much. I don't know if there's any advertising. Yeah, it, many... it's all it's indirect usually through references. The way that it's right. done through references in there. The re advertising is not as front and center. You know, Jeff Bezos said something to me once. I mean, I've, I I've had a, a was fortunate to have a few interactions with Jeff, and I learned an enormous amount in in each one of those interactions. One of the things he said is is that when 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 technology revolutionizes re revolutionizes an industry. It is very often the case that the pie, the resulting pie, is actually smaller than the pie that it replaced. So it is interesting that that it's not always these things don't always generate a lot more revenue. So we'll see over time. I mean, I think I think I don't I'm, I'm a big fan of the advertising business. I don't think it's going to go away. Google revolutionized it once. I think there's another revolution coming. Yeah, so interesting. So let me ask you one, not to end this on a little bit of a down note, but I, I do want to ask you about. Uh, something that's on a lot of people's minds, which is um, the impact on the job market. So there's a lot of fear mongering here that smacks of like, well, you know, what are all the blacksmiths are going to do if we're all going to be driving around in horseless garages, right? Um, it, it does, it, it feels both inevitable, but also a key part of this regulatory question that has nothing to do with privacy or, you know, safety. It's about job loss. And my my general sense is over time technology creates jobs. It doesn't it is a net job greater, right? So I asked uh, I was talking recently to um, to IBM about this and uh, talked to um, uh, uh, talked to them about this this question and their view is well it's going to delete some jobs because some jobs that are repetitive in nature are going to be easy to replace or at least make people way more efficient, which is like one of the advantages from a, like a computer coding point of view. Um, but that their view is net-net, um, uh, it's going to be a job creator. And I wonder if you agree with that or, um, or, or if you worry at all about, you know, what the impact might be, particularly as you get to things like um, robotic uh, agents able to do things for you in the physical world. Mark Andreessen wrote uh, a week or two ago, he wrote a blog called Why AI Will Save the World. I, I recommend everybody read that. It's, it's definitely a worthwhile thing to read. It, it represents a very optimistic perspective on AI. I mean, it's, it's, it's the true, Mark is the true optimist. And I largely am as well. I'm mostly with Mark. Um, he was very articulate in that piece as to why these cycles that of technology wind up creating more jobs over time because the industry, because of the opportunities that open up, more jobs are created. The one thing that he didn't say in that piece, and I think it's important to say, is that while I do believe that that's true, and I think we'll continue to have more jobs created and there will continue to be more opportunity for people to do things, I believe we just get more creative. There's just more things for people to do. The challenge with it is, is that it does displace people, um, and and in it, it, it's very can be very challenging for people in the you know who have lost a job and may have difficulty being retrained. So there is a strong human element to this. That has been true since the beginning of the industrial revolution. You know the the buggy whip manufacturers, et cetera, that are are long gone, and we'll, you know, we're going to see a whole lot of disruption happening. Um, with these technologies, and it will negatively impact some people. 
but on the whole, I think society will be much better off. And, 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 and in general, I do believe that the, the waters are rising for, all, for everyone and technology makes life better. I, mean, we have, I believe it's the case there's more people walking around with cell phones today than have access to a flushing toilet. Which tells you something. So that's that is a stunning and slightly disturbing fact, Bob. It, it, it is. I mean, I, I think I might rather have the toilet, but that's okay. Well, I, but to the, I think the, uh, uh, the the risk here feels like overreacting from a regulatory point of view. So if you try and slow it down, because you, you can't slow it down. Problems, you can't slow it down. The the idea of stopping it that's impossible. Yeah. You can't slow yeah. that stuff down. Well, and so it, I'll, I will ask you one this this one final thing, which is, you know, if you go back to the beginning of the um, internet era, so let's say it's nineteen ninety, I don't know. Well, I think Netscape went public in nineteen ninety four, um, uh, something like that, and not I think half around there launched Net, uh, Navigator. Now there were very few people on the internet at that point, um, just beginning to come commercialized. And, um, and if you, you look at who the early winners were, like Netscape, for example, um, they were not necessarily the long-term winners, right? So it's, it's the, you know, it, so the first, the first batch of winners are, you know, picks and shovels providers, right? Providing the underlying uh, infrastructure. But I do have to wonder whether maybe the obvious early winners are not necessarily the big winners in the long run. Well, cl classically, you know, that's been true. I mean, Google was not the first search engine, but they certainly but, were the big winner. They were certainly the big winner. I got real excited about using AltaVista. AltaVista was quite good in its era. I remember yeah. it well. Uh, uh, but Google was better and, 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 it, and it won as a result. So I think you know, it's hard to know which, of, certainly it's hard to know when you look at these small companies that I deal with, which right. ones are going to be the big winners. That's, that's very difficult to know. Uh, but it's almost certain that that the big companies will continue to do well because this technology can augment them. It does have the ability to have some fairly major business model changes, which could affect a company like Google, although I wouldn't bet against Google. Um, mm. And uh, and in meantime, I'm sure that there will be new companies that are that come up. Is it OpenAI? I mean, OpenAI is the obvious winner right now, right, in the early stage. Yeah. And it, it may be the long term winner, but who knows? Yeah, one one thing that's uh, I've been uh, I, I think is fascinating is that here we are in a um, kind of a new bull market, at least in theory. Do the math. Driven in part uh, to, to no small measure by the um, uh, the emergence of uh, generative AI, and uh, and the one thing we haven't seen so far are any uh, generative AI IPOs, right? So I think now I think that's partially because. It's early. It's too it's early. Really How many early. IPOs? Nobody's IPOing anyway right now. It's that is true. I think it seems like if, if there's anything you could take public right now, I mean, well, OpenAI doesn't need the money because of your friends at Microsoft, but um, uh, all the others are super early. And, and so I think it's people are so excited to try and figure out the winners, uh, but it may be. Uh, May take a little while to sort. This it out. may take a little while for this one to sort out. I think. I think this is this this is one of the more disruptive things we've seen, and and there will definitely be winners, and there will certainly be some losers. But uh, time will tell. But most disruptive since the internet, since the cloud. I think it's the most disruptive thing I've ever seen in my lifetime, personally. I mean, to me, this technology is the most significant thing I've ever seen, because if we finally have the ability, we we now understand how to make computers intelligent. Now, not as intelligent as we are yet. We don't understand all of the attributes of artificial general intelligence, but we're getting there. And the rate of progress is just astounding, just astounding. Wow.
Well, um, we're way over time. Thank you for doing this. This was a great conversation. So much more to talk about. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, and I hope we can have you back and talk some more about this before too long. Great. Thanks, Eric. It was great being here. Thank you. That's, um, I want to thank um, uh, our viewers for tuning in. As it happens, we have another uh, session on AI tomorrow. Um, my uh, MarketWatch colleague, um, uh, Washington Bureau Chief, Robert Schroeder is talking with Daniel Castro, who's the VP of um, the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation about efforts in Congress and, uh, and uh, the agencies to uh, govern and regulate AI. Um, that should be a great one too. Thanks for being with us. Um, be well, stay safe. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.